great to see you guys. Great to be with you. Um, we are finishing up our series in Everyday Mystics, and I'm going to be using Nehemiah chapter 2 as my jumping off text. Um, and um, I just want to start with a few moments of silence before we even begin, because even, even being here, it's a reminder that Jesus says he walks in the midst of his church that Jesus is present with us. We're going to be talking about practicing the presence of God, but God himself is present with us. And even if we don't feel it, that's where we exercise faith and we trust in the word of God who tells us, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So can we just pause for a moment to be silent? And I just want to invite you to lift your head and close your eyes for a moment. Just observe your breath. That's God's gift of life flowing through you. And I want you to consider the burdens that you carried when you walked into this room. I want to invite you to do an ancient practice. Hold your palms on your knees and imagine that you're holding those burdens. Anxiety, worry, fear, conflict, the future, your job, relationships, whatever that burden might be, just hold it right now. And then in an act of faith, just turn your palms over on your knees as though you're handing those over to Jesus and you can pray a short breath prayer like, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I give you my burdens. I receive your gift of rest to me this evening. And Father, you are running towards us to embrace us and kiss us just as the, the father of the prodigal ran towards his son. You're running towards your daughters and your sons this evening. And we return to you now as prodigal sons and daughters in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, when Dave asked me to um, participate in this series last spring, I wasn't sure. I knew I'd be coming home from a three-month sabbatical with my family. It didn't seem like the best idea to come home and then leave again the week after, returning from three months away. But he told me the name of the series, Everyday Mystic, and I knew I had to get crazy cosmic with all of you here in SF. And then he told me the title of my, my sermon, which would be Practicing the Presence of God. And that, for me, is like, that's the thing that I've tried to really grow in. That's my jam right there. And a lot of you are familiar with Brother Andrew, who wrote the book Practicing the Presence of God. He was a soldier, turned footman, turned monk. And whether he was in the chow hall or the chapel or doing his daily chores, his aim was to always stay in connection with Jesus throughout every part of every day. He had this deep conviction that God is always present and always working. That's how the mystics often thought of God. God is always present. God is always working. And so he wanted to live in constant communion and fellowship with Jesus no matter what he was doing through the course of his day. And I was so excited to do this until about two weeks ago. 
Because here's the problem. I started to write it out, and I realized that talking about learning to practice the presence of God is like trying to tell someone who's never seen a sunset how beautiful and amazing it is. There's just no way you can possibly do it service. This is a, an advanced course right now in following Christ. In addition to that, I started to realize that Although I'm a practitioner of practicing the presence of God, I have in no way perfected this practice. I started to seriously doubt it a couple weeks ago. I had this amazing time with Jesus in the morning. I had this amazing contemplative prayer time, this kind of almost imaginative prayer with Jesus. And I even was praying for my wife. And, and I, as I imagined her and Jesus meeting together, I got super emotional and I was like, Gosh, I'm an incredible husband, and <laughs> Jesus must be so pleased with me for just seeing my wife, and in this prayer time, I could imagine my wife coming and sitting next to me and Jesus, but she was on the other side of Jesus, which just meant he was right in between us. You know, we had this amazing relationship in this moment. I'm just thinking, gosh, I'm crushing it. And so I got up to go to work, and I got on the T, which in Boston is our version of the subway. It's like a mini subway. It's not the real, it's the junior subway compared to New York. And, um, but we don't talk about that too often. And, and when I got on the T, I just started to get really irritated with the people around me. Like, why does it, why do people feel the need to blast their phone speaker on the tee so everyone can hear. And then I got off the tee and I started walking on the street. And um, I wasn't walking, I was riding my daughter's Razor scooter. So in my mind, it looked really cool, but it wasn't that cool. And I was, I was using the crosswalk and I was about to cross the street and the car that was coming should have gave me the right away, but he didn't slow down, and so I just do what I normally do in Boston. You just walk faster, like stop. But he didn't stop. And I had to move out of the way, and as he's driving by, I'm just so angry that I just pointed at his window and just followed him the entire way. And then I cursed him, <laughs> rather than blessed him. And then I got super sad. I thought, what if he goes to my church? And then I got even more sad because I thought, wait, I'm just concerned if he goes to my church. I'm not even actually concerned about what God thinks about that moment. And so that's when I knew I, I wasn't really the person who is qualified to be able to talk to you about practicing the ongoing presence of God. But here's the reality. It's progress, not perfection, right? And I'm learning, just like you are, how to be with God on the go. I'm learning how to be with Jesus in the quiet place, but also how to be with Jesus in the public space as well. And it doesn't come naturally, but it doesn't come naturally for most people. But God's presence doesn't leave me, even in those moments. The Holy Spirit picks us back up again and says, it's okay, I want you to start again. I want you to start brand new. And the Christian mystics, as I said, had this phrase that God is always present and God is always working. And Nehemiah, in chapter 2, he knows that. And he knows how to practice the presence of God. In fact, in verse 1 it says, During the month of Nisan, 
in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was set before him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence before. We pick up the story in chapter 2 where Nehemiah is a broken-hearted man. He's broken-hearted over the incredible brokenness of his city and his people. If you're a parent in here and you've ever had a child who has grown up and has made choices that have hurt themselves or others, you know what it's like to feel this kind of broken heart. This is the kind of broken heart that you feel over family members and friends who have who have made a, a, a horrible choice, an abysmal, like their life is just filled with brokenness. And when his brother comes to visit him while he's living in Persia, not in Israel, Nehemiah asks his brother, how is our people doing? How is our city doing? And his brother says, oh, it's in shambles. It's in ruins. And he's broken over it. In fact, he begins to weep and he begins to fast. And he begins to pray and he begins to repent. But Nehemiah is also an incredibly busy man. Tells us in the first chapter that he was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. And that's why when he's sad in front of the king, he's afraid. It says in verse 2, I was overwhelmed with fear and I replied to the king, may the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And then the king asked me, well, what is your request? And so I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. A lot of times we don't really practice the presence of God for a few reasons. One, we, we know our own badness. We know our own tendency to flee from God. And so sometimes we feel as though God just needs time to cool off and just give him some time to not be angry any longer and then I'll go back later. Sometimes we're just so busy. We live in cities and we, we live lives at break, break, neck-breaking speeds. And it's hard to cultivate an interior life. It's hard to constantly have our mind and our thoughts and our intentions going back to being with Jesus. But Nehemiah, in verse 4, he lifts up this flash prayer. And he's in a difficult meeting with his boss. And in that meeting, he just quickly prays and says, God, what do you want me to say? And then he asks for his requests. Why? Well, he's learned to be with God on the go. He's learned that God longs for us to practice his presence in order to fulfill our true purpose. It's been said that your purpose is found where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And Nehemiah has found his deep gladness in bringing restoration, reparation to his city. And his city is incredibly hungry for it, just as yours is and mine is. Nehemiah's deep burden and gladness is to bring renewal. And that's why he says in verse 4, So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king really quick, and I said, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are, are buried so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah is practicing the presence of God in order to carry out his God-given purposes in the world. And here's the point. God longs for us to practice His presence so that we can fulfill 
our true purpose. Practicing God's presence just simply means living every activity of the day with Jesus by your side as you experience him. You remember in your school days, like um, when you have to study, right? My daughter is in the eighth grade now. Yeah, you can pray for us. She's doing great, but that's a scary age. It's scary when you feel like you're behind, and so sometimes when she doesn't know the answer to a question, she'll ask us if she can call her friend. She'll call her friend, and they'll start working on math problems together. There's a a sense of like camaraderie when you're doing that with your friend, when you're even working on school assignments with your friend. There's a sense of camaraderie when you're walking through your day and you're saying, Jesus is with me. I'm scared of the situation. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but Jesus, I know that you're with me. Another illustration, you know, sometimes it's fun to go to the movies by yourself. You don't have anybody to turn to. But most of the time, it's fun to go with somebody else, to share the experience with somebody. You want to laugh with somebody. You want to know that somebody else is there with you. Brother Andrew and Frank Laubach, uh, a man who wrote the book Practicing the Presence of God and uh, um, uh, Letters from a Modern Mystic, these were people who made it their aim to say, every 15 minutes, I want to take my thoughts back to Jesus. Every hour of every day, I want to think on what is your will? What are you calling me into, God? That when you're practicing being present with Jesus, you're simply saying, how is it that you're speaking to me? How is it that you're coming to me? And practicing the presence of God, in a way, is is how we live in deeper awareness of God's activity in our lives. It's just the habit of turning your attention and your thoughts toward God through small pauses throughout the day. And what kind of fruit does that yield? Well, in Nehemiah's life, it yields an incredible confidence in God despite his circumstances. Practicing the presence of God helps us to maintain and deepen our communion with God even in the midst of incredible trials, incredible storms of life in a fallen world. This is the path to holiness, and it's God's term for lasting happiness. Just today, uh, a friend of mine told me a story about a man in this city who, he's an older man, his children have faced incredibly difficult physical challenges. Grown children who have lost babies, who have faced incredible losses in their life. His wife has faced incredibly difficult physical challenges. And as I was listening to the story of this man, my heart was breaking, and I just was thinking, gosh, life is so hard sometimes. And my friend said, but the thing is, bro, I'm not that worried about him. Like, he knows what to do with these things. He knows how to be with Jesus in the midst of his pain. And I want to be like him when I'm his age. This is a man who's learned how to practice God's presence in the deepest struggles and in the midst of life's most horrific storms. Frank Laubach, as I mentioned, was a missionary to the Philippines, and he speaks honestly about his desire to live every few minutes acknowledging God's presence. But in his book, Letters of a Modern Mystic, he also talks about his failures 
his struggles to actually carry it out. But in the midst of those struggles and the failures to live as though God is constantly present, he talks about the incredible joy that he feels. The answer to his loneliness that you and I feel even in the midst of a crowded room. Even in the midst of relationships that we thought were going to ultimately satisfy. So the fruit that he experiences is a deeper prayer life, a deeper sense of, of, of oneness and union with God, a deeper confidence in God as Nehemiah faces as he asks the king, well, here's what I need, king. I need a letter to go with me back to Israel, and I need a group of men to support me as well. Can you provide that for me? Please, God, let him say yes. Frank Laubach says, Clearly, clearly, my job here is not to go to the town plaza and make proselytes. This is a missionary speaking. He says, It is to live wrapped in God, trembling to his thoughts, burning with his passion. And my loved one, that's the best gift that you can give to your own town. So as you're thinking, what does it look like to be a community following Jesus, seeking the renewal of our city? The best gift that you can receive is the fact that God longs for you to know that he's present with you and always working. And the best gift that you can give to your town is learning to practice the constant presence of God. So that when you cross the street and you're pointing your finger at that person, you're saying, Jesus, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I want to live in presence. I want to live in your presence. I want to become more patient. I want to live in the fruit of the Spirit. And I don't know what that whole thing was about just there, but it's inside me. And I want to ask that you would please remove that, that you change that into love and joy and peace and kindness. So how do we do that? In our time remaining, I just want to explore two questions. Why can we practice God's presence and how? So first, why is it that we can even practice the presence of God? Because here's the thing. Nehemiah has incredible confidence that God is present and working and that he can just tune into that presence at any moment, but he shouldn't have that confidence. Not yet. Not at this point in the biblical narrative. Here's why. It was God's design from the beginning for us to live in constant, ongoing communion with Him. That's why the first man and woman would just hang out in the cool of the garden. And day by day, they would just hang out with God and they would work with God and they would tend the garden with God. God was always present and always working. But then sin enters the world. Through temptation, they are expelled from the garden, and one of the most devastating consequences of their choices is that we lost the God-with-us way of life. But God wasn't content to leave us in a without-God world. God made himself present in the Old Testament at certain times and at certain places, which is the time that Nehemiah lives. And you've read your Bible, you understand that God would often visit his people in powerful ways by his Holy Spirit. He would visit Abraham with three travelers, which are angelic beings, or Christophany. He would visit Jacob in a dream. He would 
visit Moses in a burning bush. He would talk to a guy through a donkey. He would speak through angels and prophets. He would set up his tabernacle to be in the midst of his people where they could often come and experience the presence of God. It was a time of visitation. The presence of God in the Old Testament was always at a particular place or in particular times, but it was occasional. His spirit would descend and then ascend. It would come and it would go. And there were hundreds of years where the people of God didn't hear anything specific from God. There was a 430-year period between the Old Testament prophet Malachi and the New Testament where Jesus, the Messiah, is born. And something remarkable happened when Jesus was born. Something remarkable that changed the entirety of the world. And in Jesus, what was the name that was given to him? Emmanuel. God is with us again. All the fullness of God dwells in bodily form in Jesus. And just like in the garden, God makes his home with his creation again. Because God's design has always been to make heaven and earth one in the new creation where God's dwelling will forever be with humanity. In fact, the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, tell us that the culmination of redemption is the restoration of connection between humans and God. There's no need for sun anymore. There's no need for a temple anymore. No need for, need for artificial light anymore because God himself is the light in the presence of humanity. But we don't live in Revelation 21 and 22 yet. We live in Matthew 28, 20, where Jesus tells his disciples after he's risen again, surely I am with you occasionally and I'll be with you sometimes, so figure it out. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He says, I'm with you to the end. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. The old covenant was an age of visitation where the Spirit would occasionally come and go, but the new covenant where you and I live is the age of habitation. It's no longer God out there. It's God dwells in here, in his people. And this here is the dwelling place of God, which is why there's no longer any need for a temple, because your life is the temple of the Holy Spirit now. And because of that fact, at any moment of any day, when you're staring somebody down and pointing at their window, the Holy Spirit is still convicting you and still saying, I still love you and I'm still here with you, and I long for you to be with me and to practice my presence, and I'm the one who actually can transform you. So you're not just scowling at that person. You're beginning to learn to pray for that person. That's good news, right? I think it is. I don't know about you. And that's the thing about that is that we are now the body of Christ, his temple, and Jesus describes the church as the the me that Saul is persecuting. So God is personally present among us right now. He's living and active. His spirit is brooding over his children, birthing in us new life 
from above. We are His dwelling place so that we can trust God is always present and always at work in your life. God is present in, your, in that very conflict that you're afraid of. He's working in you. God is present in the job and in this, the, the meeting that's difficult to deal with, just like Nehemiah. God is present in the physical, relational, emotional, spiritual struggle that you're facing right now and the difficulties that you're anticipating in the coming week. It's possible that God is changing you, growing you, building you, making you stronger through the affliction by His grace. Why? Because God is always present and God's always working in the life of His people. And you might say, well, it doesn't feel like God is here, right? A lot of times, God seems absent. Nehemiah is brokenhearted over the condition of his city, and maybe you're brokenhearted over the condition of your loved ones or your current state of life. And sometimes in those situations, it doesn't feel like God is present. And that's where faith comes in. That's where it's required for you to go back to Jesus and say, I don't feel like you're with me because if you were with me, it doesn't seem like life would be going this way. But you have to ask, Jesus, are you a liar? I don't think that you're a liar. In fact, I think you say it pretty straight most of the time. And because I don't feel like you're with me, I need to apply faith. Holy Spirit, help me to apply faith in this situation because Jesus said, I will never leave you and never forsake you. And that's why David could say in the midst of his own heartbreak, in the midst of his own badness, in Psalm 139, even if I flee to the farthest parts of the world, or the East Coast, for example, <laughs> and I made my bed in hell, even there, you're with me. Even though I walk through the darkest valley of the shadow of death, I'm choosing not to fear. Because why? You are with me. My favorite, in Psalm 16, where David says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. I've gotten into the practice of developing a mantra out of whatever scripture pops out at me that morning. I'll write it down, and that's the mantra I repeat throughout the course of the day because I just need to remember that God is who God says He is. And because I struggle with incredible amounts of FOMO, fear of missing out, I need to repeat this verse. In your presence is fullness of joy. Not the shiny thing that I want. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. And right before this gathering, when I'm texting my, my, my cousin and saying, can you pray for me? Because I'm just not feeling out of sorts right now. I'm kind of feeling discouraged a little bit. He texts me back, not even knowing what I'm talking about. Joshua chapter 1, when God says, don't fear, don't be afraid, because I am with you wherever you go. 
Second question is, not just why can we practice the presence of God? We know why. Because we now live in the age of habitation where the Spirit of God takes residence within us through faith in Jesus. But the way that we practice God's presence is this way. I've come up with this little phrase. Hopefully it's helpful. Learning to practice God's presence requires training our spiritual temperament to align with our sacred story. I want to break that down into three different categories. First, it requires training. Why is Nehemiah so quick to practice the presence of God? Why is he so quick to throw up flash mob prayers? It's because throughout this story, he's constantly resetting his mind and relinquishing his burdens through short prayers. The mystics called them breath prayers. Just as quick as you can inhale the nature of God, you exhale the burden that you're carrying to God. And it's because Nehemiah trained himself to do such. The story of Nehemiah doesn't start in chapter 2. Of course, it begins in chapter 1, like most stories. And in chapter 1, it begins with him hearing about the nature and the state of his people, and then he immediately goes to God in prayer. In other words, he practices the presence of God in private so that he can practice the presence of God in public. He's learning to sit with God alone so he can be with God on the go. He's practicing. Just like an athlete, you know that professional athletes, it's only 10%. Most sports psychologists estimate only 10% of an athlete's actual career is spent in the big game. You know that, right? 90% of what they do is training. And it's the same way in training our lives in holiness. You will not drift into practicing the presence of God. It requires training. And Nehemiah begins by training through fasting and prayer, the very simple disciplines that you've been learning about, the mystical forms of prayer, of sitting with God in silence, of Lexio Divina, reading Scripture and praying that verse back to God. You go back and read Nehemiah's prayer, it's filled with theology. Why? Because he's training towards righteousness and holiness. Dallas Willard was known to say, God is opposed to effort, but he's not opposed to, I'm sorry, God is opposed to earning, but he's not opposed to effort. In other words, God is opposed to anyone trying to earn their salvation or their right standing with him. That happens through faith in Jesus alone. But God is not opposed to your effort. That is, to the way that you train in the quiet place, alone with God. That's why Christian missionary, as I mentioned, Frank Laubach, aimed to do the same in his 1930s collection of writings called Letters of a Modern Mystic. He says this, Although I have been a minister and a missionary for 15 years, I have not lived the entire day of every day in minute-by-minute effort to follow the will of God. And two years ago, a profound dissatisfaction led me to begin trying to line up my actions with the will of God about every 15 minutes or every half hour. Other people to whom I confessed this intention said it was impossible I judge from what I've heard that few people are really trying even that. But this year, I have started out trying to live all my waking moments 
in conscious listening to the inner voice, asking without ceasing, what father do you desire said? What father do you desire done this minute? It is clear that this is exactly what Jesus was doing all day, every day. (laughs) But it's not what his followers have been doing in very large numbers. This is a product, or this is something that the Holy Spirit works in us as we partner with him in our lives in the form of training. And Laubach actually begins to make a game out of it. He calls it the game of minutes. And I highly recommend you picking up his book called Letters from a Modern Mystic. He's incredibly honest about his victories, but also honest about his setbacks. That training doesn't mean trying harder. It means that we will stumble and fall and point our finger at the window like some raving lunatic. And then we We get back up again because the Holy Spirit pulls us back up and says, I love you and I've made you and I'm still with you and I'm leading you and I want to transform you and I want to love people through you. So how do we practically do this? Well, this involves, as I said, the meditative and mystical forms of prayer that you've been learning about, the basic disciplines. Maybe it involves just uh, beginning to practice fixed hour of prayer, setting your clock at specific times during the day, reading through the lectionary or the daily office or your own Bible reading as you've set it up. I have on my alarm uh, several points throughout the day that go off. So in the morning, the first thing that I read this morning when it went off, it says, you are blessed. It's just reframing my mind around the truth of who I am in Jesus. At another time during the day, it says, you have much to be grateful for. And around one o'clock in the day, it says, you're going to die. I'm an Enneagram 4. I'm not afraid to talk about death. But it says, you're going to die and rise again. Do you know why it says that? It says that because I need the reminder that this life is not all there is. I need the reminder that life is not about getting everything else that my neighbors got. And in the course of the day, at the very end of the day, it says, God is still in control. Right about the time that I realize, oh my gosh, it's time to go home and I didn't complete my to-do list. It says, God is still in control. And so we need these practices. Last week, my wife and I were walking we found a, a wooded area near our home. We were walking our dog, and as we were walking, we were talking about some heavy issues in our, in our life and things that we're discerning and things that we're asking questions about together. And as we're walking, I just had this urge to just blurt out, Jesus, I just, pr- just want to give you this burden right now. I didn't tell her we're going to pray. I just, and I kind of in my mind thought, oh, this is going to be awkward. I'm just going to blurt it out. But I said, Jesus, we just give this to you right now. We give you this burden. We ask that you would work in it. And then I'm like, how did that sound? And right at that moment, she says, right when you said that, I was looking up at the trees and I just thought to myself, God is here right now. We're learning. We're learning slowly. We're slow learners, but we're learning what it means to practice the presence of God, to be with God on the go throughout the course of the day in the midst of our worries, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our fears. 
to hand those burdens over to God. That's why Scripture consistently stresses the importance of doing so. When it says, to abide in Jesus and let his words abide in you, or to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, or to walk by the Spirit, or keep seeking the things above where Christ is, or to pray without ceasing, rejoice always in everything, give thanks, run with endurance, keep fixing your eyes on Jesus. These are the continual imperatives of Scripture on the way that we are to train as disciples or apprentices of Jesus the way that we're to practice the presence of God. Do you know what that will do to your prayer life? Teresa of Avila actually said that the reason why prayer is often so difficult is we often just assume God is not there. What it will do to your prayer life is just you'll begin to blurt things out moment by moment because you know that God's not just needing to cool off or distant because I've run away. No, God is here in this moment. God is always present and always working. But secondly, we said, you must train your spiritual temperament. Now, this is big. Stay with me on this. Because a lot of you, or some of you, are in here and you're thinking, I am not a contemplative and I am not a mystic. I actually connect with God most on the go, some of you might be saying. And here's the thing about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an activist. He's not a contemplative by nature. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He's a city official. He works in government. And some of the most incredible movements of the kingdom of God have been sparked by activists who have learned how to temper their own personality and temperament with contemplative practices. And activism can take on many forms, right? It can look like the fight to push for racial reparation, against injustice and racism. It can look like working towards social reform or actively confronting error and evil. You can be a politician or a preacher. You can be a stay-at-home mom or, you know, work as a teacher. However, your form of activism, God has created you and designed you in that way. Gary Thomas, author of Sacred Pathways, he actually talks about 10 or so different types of spiritual temperaments and the importance to understand how God has designed you, your particular temperament. So there's naturalists, those who connect with God in nature through prayer, those who are contemplatives, those who are ascetics. And he says this of activists, activists will never be satisfied playing it safe. They need to experience the exhilaration of seeing a miraculous God come through in miraculous ways. So maybe that's you. But Nehemiah has learned to train his spiritual temperament to practice the presence of God as an active contemplative, learning to sit still and then to be with God on the go. And this is so vitally important, guys, because here's what. Here's why, here's what, whatever. Thomas Merton said that when our activism is oriented around the love of God, it is as acceptable to God as the contemplative's prayer. He says, activists who are abiding in Jesus know how to find God by devoting themselves to him and self-sacrificing labors in which they are able to remain in his presence all day long. Although they are active laborers, they're also hidden contemplatives because of their great purity of heart maintained in them by obedience, fraternal charity, self-sacrifice, and perfect abandonment to God's will 
in all that they do and suffer. They are much closer to God than they realize, and they enjoy a kind of masked contemplation. And so activists oftentimes can really develop the, a, a contemplative practice through walking prayer, through intercession. Karl Barth actually said Christians ought to pray with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. That's an activist. Or just learning to walk with God in nature, whatever it might be. I was talking to Pastor Tarek earlier this morning, and he was reminding me about a story when he was going through a time of just really needing more of the presence, of wanting to be, to enter into and be with God and acknowledge God's presence. And, and, and he remembers waking up one particular morning and, and um, God asking him, do you want to work or do you want to sit? And Tarek is an activist, I think, in my opinion. And he said, I want to work. And God said, okay. So he went outside and he made it his practice to garden in his backyard while being with Jesus and praying through his gardening. And it was so life-giving to him. I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, how have you made me? Who have you made me to be? Pick up Gary Thomas's book, uh, Sacred Pathways. Learn your particular temperament. Because chances are, God is drawing you closer to himself than you even realize. And he's so pleased with the worship that you give him. Thirdly and lastly, we said it's important to train your spiritual temperament to align with your sacred story. What is your sacred story? Well, throughout the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah requests God to remember him. He's constantly saying, remember me, God, remember me. It's not as though God is in danger of forgetting Nehemiah's works and efforts. The reason why he says, remember me, is that it's a Jewish way of invoking the uh, uh, covenant of God. He's saying, remember the covenant that you've made with your people, God. That you will never leave us, that you won't forsake us, that you will indwell your people ultimately. And the truth is that you and I live in a world where we're constantly tempted to live out of a false narrative. A false narrative that we'll never have enough, will never be enough, and will never do enough. And that's what keeps you working at breakneck speed. But the sacred story says this, that Jesus Christ came into this world and was crucified. And I, through faith in Christ, have been crucified with Christ and cleansed. And Paul says, and it's not I who live any longer. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. That's your sacred story. And that one day you will see him face to face in all of your suffering and all of your training and all of your walking will finally be worth it. And so, as you seek to practice the presence of God, does it require you to really press in? No. Because God's already present. God's the one who's actually pursuing you. God's initiating you to enter his presence. He's not being like, 
well, we'll just wait and see if she really wants to enter my presence. No, God's been here all day with you. Last week, I had dinner with a friend of mine, an elder in our church. I hadn't seen him in three months. I'd been on sabbatical. And so I went to the back corner of the restaurant and waited for him. And I was watching for when he would walk in because I knew he was vis- couldn't see me probably. And so as he walked in, I, um, I sat there and I saw him. And then I, I did the only thing that just, you know, that everybody should do. I just stood up and wa- started waving my phone frantically back and forth like no one should actually do, you know. I just looked like a complete buffoon. Just lighter on, you know, phone waving. And he finally, he's looking around and he still doesn't see me, so he looks down and he texts me. But I, and I get the buzz and I just start waving faster, like, no, I'm over here. And he finally, he's looking around and he sees me in the corner. He's like, oh, there you are. And he walks over to me. Do you know what it is to practice the presence of God? It's just to acknowledge, oh, there you are. You've been here this whole time. God the Father is drawing you to himself. That's why you're here. You think you just thought, oh, I'm going to go to church on a Sunday night at 6.30 p.m., The Holy Spirit is drawing you, waving the light of the gospel, saying, come to me, come to me. I know where you've been. I know that you mad dog some dude and you've been pointing at fingers at windows all day. But I still want you to come to me. I'm still drawing you in because I want to give you confidence in me. I want to give you fullness of joy. I want you to taste pleasures at my right hand forevermore. I want you to overcome fear knowing I am with you. And so if you find it difficult to practice the presence of God, it just begins right now asking the Holy Spirit, why? Can you show me why it's so difficult for me? And then can you begin to work in those areas in my life that make it so hard for me to practice the ongoing communion with you? And then you choose. You know, you have a choice this week how you're going to live each day. Frank Laubach says this, any hour, any day may be made perfect by merely choosing. It is perfect if one looks towards God that entire hour, waiting for his leadership all through the hour and trying hard to do every tiny thing exactly as God wishes it done. No emotions are necessary. Just the doing of God's will makes it a perfect hour. And the results of that one perfect hour, I believe, will echo through all eternity. So if that's what your desire is, that's because the Holy Spirit is giving you that desire. And God's a good Father who's calling you forth. I want you to come to me. We'll practice this thing together. Thank you, Father, for this invitation that you give to us. Thank you, Lord. You know us completely and thoroughly, and yet you love us all the way through like a loving father. Jesus, you never leave us or forsake us, even when we leave and forsake you. Right now, Lord, even as we choose and we say yes or no, I will or I won't join you in practicing your presence all throughout the day, we realize that you don't show up in powerful ways. You're always here in a very real way 
it's us who have the opportunity to come to you and to show up to you now. And we pray, Lord God, that you give us faith for that right now, Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.